yeah, just learn how to forgive. And man, this world needs a lot of love right now. A ton of love. I'm a believer that love overpowers anything else. And the more we start showing love for one another and, and instead of trying to control them and tell them how they should live their life, I think we'll start slowly but surely seeing the world change. To the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Al Richards from West Jordan, Utah, but currently living in Sandy, Utah, has two beautiful daughters, Megan and Arielle, and three amazing grandkids, Lainey, Lila, and Webb. He was also in season two of The Chosen, the story about Christ, which is one of my personal favorites. So that's so exciting. (laughs) Al considers the mountains his church. He's not a religious person, but he is spiritual. His passion is to build his podcast into the number one addiction podcast, hoping that his show will help thousands of people understand those who battle with addiction by understanding the shame of addiction, the power of vulnerability, and the uncovering of the root causes of addiction. Al and his co-hosts collaborate with former addicts and professionals to help others here there is hope. Thanks for being on the podcast, Al. Tell us your story with addiction and how you became addicted to your wife's addiction. Wow. Well, first of all, Tracy, thank you so much for asking me to be on your show. Uh, feel very blessed and very grateful for this opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm so glad to have you. It's a really good question because I had a gentleman on the show. We were talking about the addiction in his family and, and I started talking about a story of something that happened while my wife was in the depths of her addiction. And he looked at me and, and he's our guest. And he goes, Al, if you really think about it, you were addicted to your wife's addiction. And I started thinking about it really hard just in that short little moment. And I'm, oh my gosh, you are so right. Because when you have a loved one at home, now, whether it's your child or whether it's your spouse It just, it consumes you so much. You get to where I was afraid to leave because I didn't know what she was going to do. I knew as long as I was here, I had a little bit of control. Then the times when I left, whether it was for work or whatever, my mind was never on that. It was always on what is she doing? Where is she gone? And every time she called me, the first thing I would listen to is how is she talking? Is she slurring her words? What am I going to come home to? As I've said before, it's like when you see movies or pirates or whatever, and they're out in sea and they're fighting a storm and they show a rope or an anchor or something and somebody's battling, doing something. And all of a sudden it gets tied around their ankle and something flips overboard and it starts pulling them and they're scratching and they're clawing, trying to save themselves. That's exactly how I felt on a daily basis. It got to a point to where I I didn't even want to come home anymore because, yeah, it just, it took me down that rabbit hole. It was almost like I was the alcoholic as well, even though I wasn't putting any alcohol in my system. What led you 
to helping your wife or helping yourself truly get out of that fight or flight state that you were basically all in? It took a long time for me to figure out what was going to even help her help myself. I think what really turned the switch on was I was coming home. I've been really active in the West Jordan Chamber of Commerce. I've done a lot of networking in the past 10, 11 years. And not even realizing it, how much energy it took for me to walk into a room because everybody knows, Al, I'm the hugger. I got a big smile on my face. I got all this energy. When I would leave these events, I would just be completely, completely drained. And I had made a decision coming home one day from an event that I was just going to go home and get my pistol. I was going to go up in the mountains and I was going to take my life. And luckily I got a phone call. And when I hung up on that call, I saw the picture of my two daughters and my three grandkids. And I just broke down and started bawling. I was crying so hard. I couldn't even see the road. So I had to pull over and I started really thinking to myself, this is crazy. I mean, this is literally nuts. Why am I thinking this way? And I argued with one of my wife's therapists in one of the rehabs that she was at because she was telling me, she goes, Al, there's nothing you can do to help her. Well, being the way that I brought up or just with any man, if you love your your wife, you're there to protect him. You're going to do whatever you can to help him. And by golly, man, I gave it a hell of a shot. I even told her, I says, you're wrong. You watch me. You watch. I'll prove you wrong. I'm going to help her get sober. But after I started thinking about what I just mentioned, something's got to change here. And that's when I started getting off that hamster wheel. I started getting onto something else. It still took me a long time after that to realize that there was nothing that I could do to help my wife. But it really started helping my mindset because it got to where I could finally start opening up and start talking about it and start sharing it. So it's something that didn't happen overnight. It was definitely work in progress. I think it took me at least another, gosh, probably two years after that, just before I finally got to where I needed to be. When your experience with your wife such that you had this moment of, did you ever identify it as codependence? It can be. Yeah. I believe it can be because she was very codependent on me. And, and I believe I was the same for her. I mean, we were, we were good friends. I mean, she went 13 months sober and I mean, our relationship was just incredible. I mean, we, we did everything together. We were best buddies. And then to lose that and lose it the way that we lost it, it it was very hard to take. And me being at the age that I was at, I'm also thinking, man, I'm in my fifties. I, I don't want to get on this flipping dating scene. I, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not interested. I know who this person is. I know who I married. This is not her. She's in there. I know that she is. I mean, I filed divorce three times during her depths of her addiction, and I've canceled it three times because something kept pulling me in. And every once in a while, she would pull me back in because she would get out of rehab. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's my wife. She's back. Oh, my gosh. It's so great to have her back. And then and 
I hope it's okay to say this. If not, you'll have to bleep it out. But I, I would tell her, it's like, you would reel me in, reel me, reel me in. And then I would spread my legs and you'd give me a kick right in the crotch. And it would just drop me again. And I allowed that to happen over and over. So, yeah, I think some of that codependency was there because I really did want her around. I mean, when she was gone, especially in rehab for up to six months at times, I mean, I was missing her. I I missed the heck out of her because she was my best friend. She was always there for me, especially when I lost my job of 24 years. She, She was my rock. She's the one that pulled me out of my depression and got me moving and got me active again. So, yeah. Hmm. How long did she struggle with her addiction? I, I always usually say seven years and she's like, where did you come up with seven years? I'm like, I don't know. It's just it kind of started in 2009 when it really started getting bad, but then she went a while where she got sober again, but, um, not counting this past year because she's been sober for over a year now, but it was four years before this past year is when the depth of her addiction hit really, really hard. It's when she started getting her DUIs, starting to get thrown in jail, losing jobs. It just imploded. Everything just kind of the last four years just went to hell, just to say it that way. What clicked for her? What changed for her that she got to the point where she was willing to let it go? Well, the last time she was in jail, she said that she had a spiritual awakening. She said God came and visited her and had a talk with her. I remember when she told me that, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard you say this. I don't know how many times. She's like, no, I had a spiritual awakening. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard this half a dozen times or more as well. Because she started drinking again right after that. She, she was so bad that she couldn't even stand. She couldn't even hold her head up. She felt something during that time when I finally got her to agree for me to take her to detox. Something happened. Something happened during that time. She told me that God came and told her this was her last chance, that she, she wasn't going to have any more chances. It really, really scared me too because the the last day that I dropped her off at detox, looking in her eyes, I remember crying on the way home because I thought this could be one of the last times I see my wife alive. I could see death in her eyes, in her face. And after she got done with detox, she she got out and I wouldn't allow her to come back. And she went and stayed with her daughter. And that lasted a, a day or two. And she called just begging to come back. And I told her I'd allow her to come back as long as she didn't touch alcohol. If I ever caught her drinking alcohol, she was back out on the streets. But when she came, when, when she came back home, something happened. She lost all her mobility. She's 10 years younger than me. So she was walking around basically like a 90 year old. She's just shuffling her feet. She couldn't take a step. She got to where I couldn't even hardly understand what she was saying when she was talking. It was just, it was like gibberish and it was really frustrating for her because she was trying to talk to me and I couldn't understand her. She knew what she had felt inside and the visit that she got from God, but 
seeing her the way that she was, she was that way for well over a week. And I called my uncle and I, I said, would you please give Janana a blessing? And he says, absolutely. He says, let me get back to you. And he, he got back with us and he said, can you bring her over our place about seven o'clock tonight? And I says, yeah, we'll be there. And even, even seeing the look on my aunt's face when they saw her, I mean, my aunt just did one of these, like, oh my gosh, because she's never seen her this way. And my uncle did a blessing and he asked if I wanted one. I says, oh yeah, I'll take one too. <laughs> and so I took one and it took probably about another week after that. And all of a sudden she started walking better. Her speech started coming back. And she has shared when, when both of us have gotten up and shared our stories, she has said she knew right then and there that that was it. She, she was done. God gave her that chance, kind of like the shot over the bow, said the next one's going to hit. And yeah, February 9th, she'll be 14 months sober. Congratulations. That's so great. How does it work when there is some codependency, of course, going both directions? How do you guys talk about it? And even to share with other people like myself, how have you been able to cope with the vulnerability of it, even for your relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a really good question because when I first started my podcast, she was really upset with me because she says, oh, you're just doing this to make me look like crap. Oh, poor Al, he's the victim, blah, 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 blah. And as she started getting more sober and the alcohol started getting out of her, she came to the studio And she watched one of our shows. And I remember on the way home, she goes, baby, this is it. I see why you're doing this. I wanted her to come on the show as well to tell her story because I really thought it was going to be very therapeutic for both of us to talk about it together, not me just talking about her. And on Labor Day last year, we went for a walk and she told me that she was ready to share And so my co-host was the host and she brought her sponsor in to be the guest co-host. They interviewed us for us to open up as a couple and put our vulnerability out there. I mean, we're telling people our relationship, where it went. I mean, I even tried doing cocaine with her just to get her off the alcohol because I'm like, well, this isn't near as addictive. It's not really thinking, but that's how I was thinking. And to bring that all up in a show and say, look, man, I, I mean, at times I was probably a big part of the problem as well. So it's really helped us because we have sat down and especially as she really started getting sober and the alcohol was getting out of her and we started opening up to one another instead of the attacking that we had done for the last four years, she came up to me one time and I don't remember how long it was after she had stopped it. She had gotten herself back and she goes, babe, you've changed. I'm like, no, I I haven't changed. I'm still, she goes, no, there's something different about you. You've, you've changed. And she goes, it's almost like you're leaving me behind. And I'm like, babe, I don't want to leave you behind. I just, I got to get on with my life. There's something better than what's been going on. I'm tired of being on this hamster wheel, doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And I says, if you want to be with me, 
hey, jump on the train with me. Let's go together. We'll do it together. If not, I got to go. And I think that even brought us closer together because something, if we would have said something before, and it's just because of all the craziness that was going on in our home, we stopped and we respected one another. It's like, when you say this, this is how I feel. And it's like, really, I didn't realize that. And it's like, oh my gosh. So next time it'd be, okay, how do I say this differently? So I'm not making her feel that way. And same with me, I would say, Hey, when you say this, this is how I feel. Or when you mention this or so that's where, that's where our codependency almost in a way kind of separated. We still wanted to be there for one another and we still liked being around, but it got a heck of a lot stronger. Do you have a support group? Janan's always gone to AA meetings and I usually went to every single one of them with her. There is one that she loves to go to. I think they call it the 32nd and 9th. It's like 90th South and 3200 West. It's a really good group of people. She likes going to that one every once in a while, but she has it's not a therapist. It's more like a support person with USARA and USARA is Utah support advocates for alcoholics and things like that. And the gal that she works with Tiffany is just phenomenal. She works really close with her. Her sponsor came back. Her sponsor dropped her at one time, but she's back. Matter of fact, she's actually going to be on our show tomorrow. That's my wife's support system. And, And it's really good too, because before she would try to tell me how she's feeling on things. And all it would do is get me upset because I don't understand. I'm not in a, in an addict shoes. Janan's got to where there are certain things she knows she can discuss with me. And sometimes she'll even say, I want to talk to you about something. I don't want you to just say a word. I just want you to listen. And I'm like, I get it. So she has that support group. She has those people, these ladies that she can call and they're incredible ladies. My gosh, they just, I love them to death for, for how they help her steer when she's starting to get off lane. For myself, I tried Al-Anon, which is a support group for family members. And I'm not knocking Al-Anon because I know people who have gone there and it's really, really helped them. The group that I went to, I went three times. And I remember the last time that I went, because I was in an Al-Anon meeting. My wife was in an AA meeting. And when everything was over and we were walking back to the car, I says, I will never show my face at one of these ever again. I left there being more hurt, more upset, just angry at the world. Every time I left one of those meetings, it wasn't a fit for me. Where my therapy and my support came in is when I was sat down with a buddy and started telling him what has been going on. And he's like, Al, you need to share this. You need to start talking about it. And I'm like, who would want to listen? He goes, the people that are going through the exact same thing you're going through. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, gosh, I never thought of that because I was too wrapped up on what was going on inside me. And so I started speaking about it. I started getting invited to luncheons and and started talking about it. And COVID hit and kind of changed all the group settings. It's kind of like when when you're out walking around in the weeds and you get those little stickers in your socks and you think you've plucked them all out, but there's still one just irritating the crap out of you. 
it's almost like something like that was happening to me and I couldn't figure out what it was. And that's where the idea of the podcast came. But this podcast has been such a blessing for me because my support now is sitting in that studio and having a conversation with our guests to hear what they've gone through. And not all of them have battled addiction. Sometimes we have professionals come on that talk about childhood trauma and, and different things. And we've had guests that come on who've been in the same boat that I am. And we've been able to connect because a non-addiction person to another addiction person, we're connecting, we get it because we've lived it. An addict talking to another addict, they're doing the same thing. They're bonding. When you're sitting there with these people and you're hearing both sides of the story, oh my gosh, Tracy, that is so therapeutic for me. I mean, it's almost like I get to go to a studio, I get to interview some amazing, amazing people, and I get to therapy, and it's not costing me anything. <laughs> Interviewing is amazing, and learning from people is its own kind of medicine. How do people defeat the shame and the guilt that comes and attacks their identity and who they are? Well, it's hard for me to answer that question when it comes to the attic side, because my wife never liked me saying this, but I always said she had a lot of demons inside of her that she had to learn how to conquer. I don't think it would be fair for me to answer that question really as far as on the addiction side, because again, I'm not in their shoes and, and I know how shameful my wife felt because she felt bad when she, she knew she was hurting me. But then that cycle would start all over again. And then she felt bad because she lied to me. And then she felt bad because she drank again. And then she felt bad because she lied to me again. Then she felt bad because she was drinking again. For me, on my part, I said a lot of mean things to my wife. I wasn't really innocent either throughout all this. A lot of things that I did wrong, a lot of hurtful things that I said to her. And... I, I finally come to realize that there was no way that I could help her unless I started helping myself first, because I was so confused. I didn't know which way to go. All our family is LDS on both sides of our family. And I used to be a church goer and then just got out of it. When I lost my job, God started bringing me back. He started coming into my life some more. And I got to a point, Tracy, where I was beating myself up inside so bad because of the things that I said to my wife and how I treated her, because that's not who I was as a person or who I was as a husband. For me, what helped me is I finally did a fasting. Hadn't fasted probably since I was 13 years old, called one of my buddies up, said, Hey, how do you do this again? And they walked me through it. And, and I started getting my answers fairly quick. And I started feeling this calmness. And that's just all that started happening with me is I started realizing I needed to start working on myself. I needed to stop blaming her for everything that was going on in our lives, because that's all I did. She was our financial problem. She caused this, she did that, she did this. I really had to work on forgiving myself so I could turn around and give that forgiveness towards her. I, I hope I answered your question. 
I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much. How has your life changed since your wife stopped abusing alcohol? Man, it's like uh, walking in a dark room and flipping the light switch on. <laughs> Maybe even add a little disco ball up there. So <laughs> you got the flashing lights happening. It's completely changed. I'm seeing a woman that I've been with for 15 years. Um, get emotional thinking about it. I see her coming out of her cocoon. She's finally spreading her wings and becoming the butterfly that, that I always knew that she could be. We were at a grocery store. This was quite a few months ago, but my wife was never one to start a conversation with anybody. She was too busy judging people. And that's just because of how she was feeling inside was part of the addiction and things. But I hear her talking, I turn around and look and she's talking to this lady behind us. And I'm like, who is this person? I mean, like, seriously, she just started a conversation and I started seeing that more and more and I'm going, oh my gosh, she is really changing. And then when she decided to come on the podcast for us to share our story, that, that was like another wing popping out. And now we have gone into rehabs together in recovery centers and shared our story together as a couple standing up next to one another, supporting one another. Yeah. Just our relationship has gotten so much better. And I'm sure you already know this, Tracy, God puts us through a lot of trials to help us learn, to help us get stronger. And as much as I did not like the battle that both of us went through, it's put us on this path now. And I have to say that I'm very grateful that it happened because I've been working on myself for the past 13 years. I wanted to change who I was as a human being, and I've worked really hard at it. But I tell you what, man, this, the last four years has really, really escalated all of it. It has just changed me changed us as a couple. It's changed her. We're two different people almost, but we're still together, which is amazing. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's amazing. That's, that's unusual. It feels like right in those situations, yeah. it feels very unusual that that's what was your outcome, but that is so glorious. If someone resonates with your story of being the codependent, what would you advise them to do? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I, I believe you can still be codependent, but also you, you've got to live your life. I don't hold my wife back from anything that she wants to do. And, and she, she does the same with me. But yet we still want to spend that time together and be with one another. I would just say, open your mind up a little bit. Understand both sides. I guess, because sometimes codependency, you can end up smothering the other person quite a bit. I've seen that happen with a couple friends of mine that my buddy just left his girlfriend and she's just an incredible, incredible woman, but he just felt like she was needing more than what he could give. And it was a hard lesson for her as well. 
but just give that space and do your best to understand because too many of us, all of us, and, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm innocent because I still fall back on this, but so many times we're so wrapped up about thinking about the feelings that's happening to us, not realizing what that other person could be going through. Amen. We all need to think a little bit more about another person's experience, not just our own, but that's, that's a sign of an emotionally mature person to consider somebody else's experience. Will you share one of the podcast interviews that you, that you have done that has impacted your experience and <laughs> just make some recommendations? Maybe we're going to say all of it, right? I'm sure you are, yeah. but tell yeah, us yeah. what you would recommend to us. We have had so many amazing guests. We, we had a show with a gal who works for you, Sarah. She lost her son to a heroin overdose and she came in and, and shared her story. I think it's like our second or fourth episode. Really, really good. And she talks a lot about what it's like being on the other side and how people judge you. She, she actually mentioned in the show, she goes, if I told my my neighbors that my son had cancer, they'd be bringing food over and checking on me. But if I told my friends that my son was a heroin addict, she goes, no one would be knocking on my door, bringing me casseroles. Another good one that I think could kind of be made into a movie would be our good friend, Mallory Roosh from St. George. Beautiful, beautiful young lady. I told her I was going to adopt her as one of my daughters, but uh, she was heading to prison at the age of 19 due to her addiction, straight A student, just had battles inside of her father, leaving her at a young age, felt that abandonment and started out having a beer at a party and then meeting a guy and then a bad hangover. And then it was taking a pill and then the pill was Oxycontin and then it ended up going to heroin and then intravenous shooting up and robbing hookers in Vegas to get the money so they can go buy their drugs. And the day that she was being sentenced to go to prison, the courtroom doors flew open. This guy walks in. She's never seen him before. Says, your honor, can I approach the bench? And she says it felt like it was 20 minutes that they were up there when it was literally probably only five. But the judge said, no, Mrs. Roosh, you are free to go. You are now under Chuck's care. Hit the gavel and says, I don't know what he can do for you since nothing else worked. But I don't want to give up the story, but this man saved her life. Basically, that's that's a really good story. Dave DeRocher, who runs the other side of Academy, downtown Salt Lake, first south, seventh east. That man's got a, a crazy, crazy story. You know, age 13, been in and out of jail, prison, robbing, stealing, got into the drugs, tried the suicide by cop and Ram through a roadblock, helicopter chasing them with the lights, and just another, another great story. We had a gentleman come on and share his story about his two-decade battle with porn addiction. Talked about on a business trip, he pulled up to a bridge and was thinking about jumping off the bridge, commit suicide in a different state. That's another good one. Gosh, the one that just came out yesterday with Holly Bates. Gosh, a really good one. We had Janie and Whitney on. They work for Matter Behavioral in in Mount Pleasant. 
But those two ladies, Janie, who started um, Matter, her dad was pimping her out at seven years old in a fight club, not for sex, but in a fight club. So she could win these fights and win money. He could use that money to pay for his drinking. And then she got into the drugs and alcohol. Gosh, we just had one. The show hasn't aired yet, but Tiffany Platten, who was on, matter of fact, she was just on Good Things Utah on Monday. So if if you go back and look at Good Things Utah, you'll see a little bit about her story. But this young lady was sexually assaulted so many times throughout her life and by family members and cousins and uncles and just, yeah. And to see where she's at now, just, I mean, I could go on. There are just so many incredible stories. Janessa out of Ogden, she came on and shared what it was like living with a husband who, who battled a sex addiction. It takes a lot for these people to come on a show and say, Hey, this is who I used to be. This is what I did. Tiffany and her daughter, Talia. I can't remember what number episode that one was, but it was the first time the daughter shared with her mom, what it was like having a mom as an addict. And I tell you what, the spiritual energy in that room, hearing that story and seeing what those two, seeing the connection find, coming together again. We keep a box of tissues on, on the desk and everybody was using them that day. We do a lot of crying in some of our shows and we do a ton of laughing. <laughs> we interviewed a gal from Canada who lost her brother to suicide due to an addiction. Another very emotional one where you could just feel the spirit with all of us on that one. So if I just keep thinking, I, I'll just keep going on and on. There are just to, for me to say, I have one very favorite one. I, I don't because you hear a lot of these stories and it's almost like the stories are the same, but they're not, they're just not. And it's so weird. It's like, Oh, I'm sure a lot of our audience are like, yeah, I've heard this before. But then as it gets going, you're literally just going, you got to be kidding me. You went through that. It's just nuts. We've had people on our show who sold their bodies for drugs and alcohol and lived on the streets, ate out of dumpsters, lost everything, lost their families, lost their husband or their wife. I mean, it's just amazing. People who have been sexually assaulted since they were just five, six, seven years old. It's just I mean, if that stuff happened to me, hell, I could have been an addict too. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you look at the trauma, I would say the majority of them, there is a study that's done on, I think, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs or Mm -hmm. something. And that the more you have of those, the more likely, like there's statistical proof that you're more vulnerable to drugs and addiction and all these things. What kind of experiences, what kind of emotions has your podcast provided for you and insight into humans and how we operate? It's really opened my eyes how, how us as human beings, how we hold so many things in. And some we don't even realize it. Like my friend Mallory, her dad left her, I think at the age of four years old. And she didn't realize she was suffering from it until an older age. You just, we're the only living being on this planet that grabs a hold of things and, and we just let them fester inside. And some people 
Like myself, with my wife's addiction, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I didn't want anybody to look at her a different way. So I, I held all that stuff inside, not realizing all the damage it was doing to myself. I read a, a, a book once. It was talking about if you go to the park and you watch the ducks, and if you see a duck go up and attack another duck, it like, jumps on it and it's quack, 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 and they fly and you'll watch the duck fly a little bit who got attacked and land in the water and it you know, shakes all its stuff and then just goes around, starts floating around like nothing happened. Well, that's because they forget about it. It, it happened. It's done. It's over with. They just go about their day. With us, we hold all this stuff in. And I've realized how many of us, which is probably all of us, how we have taken things that's happened in our life and we let that control our life. And some people go to eating, some people go to gambling, some people go to porn or sex, drugs, alcohol. Some people right here, they spend all their time on here. There's people who spend time on gaming. A couple of months ago, a buddy said, Hey, I got a new addiction for you. And I'm like, okay, what? And he goes, you need to have someone on your show that's addicted to complaining. I went, that's a pretty good one. You know, because there are people that complain about everything. Nothing goes their way. Yeah, that's something that I have really, really learned. And also the forgiveness part. These people have had to forgive themselves for a lot of nasty things that they've done in their life. And just not to them, but also to other people. We get a lot of that that comes out of our show. We have a lot of people say thank you for giving them a safe place to be vulnerable and not be judged because um, there's something that happens in our studio, Tracy. I don't know what it is, but especially when things get deep, there's something that happens in our studio every single time that even if we're doing an interview of somebody that lives in Canada or the UK or New Mexico or Florida, they're feeling it on their end. But when we have them come in the studio so many times, I mean, we're all huggers in the studio. Everybody's hugging everybody. <laughs> but to have someone come up and give you a hug and go, thank you. You have no idea what that just did to change my life. It's really rewarding. Thank you for doing that. Maybe there's somebody who's listening to this. I don't know who is addicted or they have somebody in their life who is addicted. What would you tell them? How would you advise somebody who's in the throes of this? Well, that's a touchy one too, because gosh, it affects people so differently. But one of the, one of the worst things that I did was I enabled my wife and any addict, when they get sober, they will say, that's one of the worst things that you can do for us. Now, it's a two-edged sword because all the addicts will also tell you we're very, very good manipulators. So we can usually get what we want. You got to hold your ground. You love that person so much. All you want to do is give and you want to help. But by doing that, all you're doing is making the addiction worse for that person. In AA, in a lot of the rehabs, they teach the addicts and the users to set boundaries. A lot of times they say, get new friends, have a circle, 
bring new people into the circle that set boundaries. You on the other side as well, you have to set boundaries as well. And it took a long time for me to realize that. I told my wife, I'm like, I will always be here for you. I will always be here to help you do whatever I can as long as you're sober. If you are not sober, you are not welcome. If you show up, I will call the cops. It's so hard to do. I watched my wife get arrested and thrown in handcuffs so many times, and I'm the one that called the cops on her. But it's something I had to do to help me stay sane. I would rather see her go off in handcuffs than know, which I've done many times too, just thrown her out on the streets and then stay up all night because I'm afraid someone's going to grab her and rape her and take her and do whatever they want with her because she's so drunk. There's no way she'd be able to fight them off. So set your boundaries, but let them know how much you love them. Let them know how much you care because a lot of times these people, I don't see, I don't want to put it that way as these people, like there's somebody totally different. A lot of times addicts, they already feel alone. They already feel that they're not wanted. Let them know, man, they're, they're wanted. Hug them, tell them how much you love them. But again, do it when they're sober, because when they're using or they're drunk, their mind's in a total different area. Because if you say, I love you when they're drunk, they'll come up with a reason why you don't really love them. You're just saying that because they're drunk. That's probably about the best advice I could say. And then also find a support group for you. Find something that works, whether it's Al-Anon. If Al-Anon doesn't work for you, one of the most incredible things with technology that we have nowadays, there are so many support groups out there. There's a there's an app called Clubhouse. I mean, you can go on Clubhouse and find whatever it is, whether it's on the addiction side, non-addiction. I mean, they've got it all. They've got these little platforms. There's people from all around the world, not just in your state. They're from, I've talked to people from the UK, from Paris, from France. And it's like, man, the same crap that's happening in my home across the pond is happening there too. So there's so many support groups. Be careful talking to friends. Be careful talking to family members, unless it's somebody that you really trust, because they will give you advice, what they think is best. They're not doing it to harm you. They're just saying what they think is best. But when you're not an addict and you're not, or you're even not on that other side, no one can tell you what's best because they're not living in it. They're not eating the same oatmeal that you're eating. Oh, it's so interesting. There's this part of me that's like, oh, I so relate to, there's been times in my life where I just felt like, oh, I have an addiction to food. I could see it at a time in my life where I was eating because that was a distraction from my feelings. And nobody would know because I'm a little stick. Like nobody knew that I was doing that. But it's interesting because I feel like I use these other things to kind of distract from the feelings. And as I've gotten older, hopefully I've gotten a little bit better at actually experiencing my emotions when they come up and feeling them instead of stuffing them or trying to do something to ignore them. But it is human to try to ignore and try to stuff down and try to buffer, which we have a very easy way of buffering, especially with our phones. So I would say right now, like digitally, my phone and my electronics and just that is where 
my addiction, I feel like, goes, right? Is towards this like, oh, here, I'm going to just jump on the phone and be like, wait, how many hours did I spend on my phone? <laughs> like, what just happened, right? Yeah. Like, this is not just, this clearly isn't just me. This is my age group. This is also younger. This is, it's also been exacerbated, I think, actually by COVID because everyone needed to be on their computers to yep. do X, Y, Z. And so it's even more a part of our lives than it was before. What would you tell myself and others who feel like they have unhealthy boundaries with their electronics? Yes, I would tell you to set boundaries, but also set yourself some goals. It's just like somebody's trying to trying to quit drugs or alcohol or sex or porn or gambling. Take the baby steps. Set yourself a goal that's reasonable. I'll give you an example is a long time ago, my wife and I, we, we went out to eat. and. It's kind of funny because we were both doing the same thing, not realizing, but we were looking around the restaurant and I would say 95, 96% of the people that were there in that restaurant, they were all doing this. And some had their families, some were couples. And my wife and I, we both noticed it at the same time. And I think she's the one that said it. I'm pretty sure she is, but she goes, I think you and I need to make a promise to one another. And anytime we come out and we go eat, it's our time. No phones, nothing. And we've slipped a few times where we've, where we've grabbed our phone. And, but one of us will say, hey, remember what we talked about? So we can have that quality time together without, without that phone. Set yourself just some small little goals. That's what I had to do, even helping myself while my wife was working on her to get sober. I wanted to continue to work on me. And I do a journal every single morning and every evening. And it's just, it's for me just to kind of follow my steps, but set something up to where like, like, all right, in the morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to check my Facebook messages, my Instagram, I'm going to check my emails, and then I'm done. And I'm not going to check it again for two to three more hours. When, or just give it a half hour. Set your timer on your phone, give it a half hour. And then once you kind of start getting used to that, give yourself another little goal and go, okay, well, I made it a half hour. Let's do 45 minutes this time and celebrate it. And the reason why I say that, the gentleman that I told you that had the port addiction for, for two decades, started at the age of 13, he was really struggling when he was really working hard to get clean. And the day that he pulled up to that bridge, thinking about jumping off the bridge, he was talking to God and going, why am I not doing this? Why can I not beat this? And he started thinking. And... For someone like myself, I usually say it's either the angels or it's the Holy Spirit saying something in your head. It's not you. It's somebody saying something to you. But he says, gosh, a week ago, I, I, I went four days. And I just went another two. And so he goes, instead of looking for that long, drawn out process, he started celebrating every single time. And he said, eventually I went 20 days. Eventually it was two months. Eventually it was six months. Instead of going backwards, he started celebrating 
every single accomplishment. And I really got a really good lesson from that. And then I was at a networking group and a gentleman, a friend of mine come up and he goes, Al, I got to show you something because I know you'll appreciate it. And he reaches down in his pocket and he pulls out and he hands me a chip and it's a five-year chip. He just received his five-year chip for being sober. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Jim, this is so cool, man. You rub it. So it's all part of the thing. You rub it and you're getting the energy and you're putting the love in it. And, and I says, yeah, I remember when my wife hit her first year, I bought her a one-year coin. And then, and then she started drinking. And I says, and I took that coin away from her. And he, I thought he was literally going to punch me right between the eyes. His whole facial expression changed. I could see his fist doubling up. And he goes, don't you ever, ever take a chip away from that person because they deserve every single minute of it. And I was like, oh, my ho- holy cow. It hit me. I used to get on my wife because she would go two days sober. And she's like, instead of yelling and screaming at me, I went two days. How come you don't ever say this? Well, it's because I'm so angry. I'm not thinking about, gosh, you did go two days. I never gave her the credit for it. So give yourself some credit and give yourself some little baby steps, just little goals that are reasonable goals. Because if your brain don't think it's reasonable, you won't do it. That is some great wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. (laughs) I went to see a friend yesterday and it was this sort of rundown apartment building. And I saw these two boys vaping and they were young and I, I broke my heart. I mean, there was this part of me that wanted to just, what can I do? Right. What can I do to inter intervene in these people's lives? And I just remember thinking, I don't have any relationship with these people. I don't have anything that I could use or cattle with my own loving them or showing them care, but I still want to tell them, stop, what are you doing? Right? (laughs) Intervene. Don't do it. Don't go down this road. But what would you do? I I would almost kind of have to say the same thing you were. It's just like, I probably wouldn't say anything to them, but if I just happen to be walking by him or something and seeing him, maybe I'd say something like, that's not good for you. But if you go back and think, Tracy, when we were young, how many times our parents told us not to do something and we did it anyway? Because it's like, what? Are you? You're just an adult. <laughs> I'm just a kid. And I'm going to do what I want to because I can, if I can get away with it. And all you can do is really is just hope and pray that not nothing bad happens to them, but maybe something will help change their mind on things. Because again, it's hard for us to control anybody else. There are certain things that are out of our hands. And too many times we want to change a lot of that stuff. And, and there's a way of changing things. I mean, you're changing things by doing your podcast. We're changing things doing our podcast, but um it's like Janan's sponsor tells her a lot of times, sometimes it's best just to stay on your side of the street. <laughs> uh-huh. Isn't it true? Oh my yeah. goodness. My mom had up on our wall for a few years. The true art of conversation is not only to say the right thing at the right time, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Oh, that is really good. <laughs> 
it's not just what you say, it's what you don't say. So, um, but Al, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your experience and for sharing your story with us. Is there anything that I didn't cover or didn't ask you that you wanted to share? No, it was a great interview. Thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to to come on and, and share this message. I mean, I would just say people learn how to forgive. I mean, I've had to forgive people. It doesn't mean that they're in my life because there are some people I just don't want to be around, but I have forgiven them for whatever it has that's happened. But yeah, just learn how to forgive. And man, this world needs a lot of love right now, a ton of love. And I'm a believer that love overpowers anything else. And the more we start showing love for one another and, and instead of trying to control them and tell them how they should live their life, I think we'll start slowly, but surely seeing the world change. I love it. And Al, how do we reach you? Where do we go for your podcast? Tell us what to do. Wow. If anybody has any questions, feel free to give me an email at Mr. Al Richards at Gmail. You can ask me anything you want. Feel free to reach out. Our podcasts are on all the major platforms. We do ask people to go on YouTube and find us and subscribe. Building our subscription list, as Tracy really, really helps us, helps us build. Yeah, just and spread the word. If you guys know somebody who's, who's battling addiction or even somebody that's not, we've got some really, really good stories, really good stories on there that... I guarantee you it'll soften your heart because on a lot of them, you better have some tissues because if, if I'll go back and I'll listen to some and I'll still start getting tears in my eyes, even after listening to them, because it's, I could still feel what's happening, but yeah, those are the best ways, the best way. You can also find me on Instagram at Al connects. It's like Al underscore connects underscore, or you can also find me under Al Richards, Facebook. And I also have the addiction site, which is AR, the other side of addiction. And you can find me. So those are the two Facebook pages and Instagram. And your podcast is called the other side of addiction, the other side of addiction. Yeah. If you just punch in, we're on Podbean, Spotify, all those. Yeah. Just punch in the other side of addiction and you'll, you'll see us there. And as long as you subscribe, then you can see all our episodes.